Your cardiovascular system contains your heart and your blood vessels. It's a critical part of every one of us. Start taking better care of it with Bergamot Complete. Bergamot Complete may help support cardiovascular health, healthy cholesterol levels, including HDL, LDL, and triglycerides, balancing blood sugar levels, and even promote healthy weight loss combined with a healthy diet and exercise. Keep your cardiovascular system at its peak and give your heart the love it deserves with Bergamot Complete. It's just a heartbeat away. 844-376-0007 or visit primroseleaf.com today. Joachim Horsley is a multi-talented, award-winning musician, composer, arranger, and producer. And he became a viral sensation playing Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, Movement Two, garnering over 10 million views and worldwide attention. He is among the very elite pianists who have been selected by Steinway and Sons as a Steinway artist, a very high honor. And Mr. Horsley has crafted arrangements and orchestrated for popular musicians like Michael Blue John Legend, Ben Folds, and the Pet Shop Boys. And he has created the scores, listen to this, for over 50 film and television projects. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's welcome one of the most gifted and talented world-renowned pianists in the world, Joachim Horsley. Welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been looking forward to this interview and I have been listening to your current album, uh, Caribbean Nocturnes, and mm -hmm. wow, what a spin on classical music. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, where where did this particular sound of yours come from? So it came really from a trip to Cuba in 2015. I met up with a friend of mine, a drummer from Montreal who had a workshop. His name is Aldo Maza, and he invited me down to Cuba through his program to study with Afro-Cuban musicians and listen to music there, attend a festival. And this was in 2015. I was already working in Hollywood as a composer and arranger for film and television, but I really had always had a passion for Latin music, specifically Afro-Caribbean music. And I was really interested in learning more and having studied Cuban music and other Caribbean rhythms from the United States, I'd never had the opportunity to go to Cuba. As of course, you know, it's challenging, right? With the embargo, it's difficult to get down there but you can go there to study. And so this is the first time I was able to actually go to Cuba. And it, what really, really uh, started the project was I realized there was this cultural treasure in the Caribbean in Cuba that I really wanted to explore. And one way to do that was take something that I was very familiar with, which in my case is classical music, because that's my early training is in classical music. And do conversions of different rhythms, you could say, from different parts of Cuban culture, right? So that's how Beethoven in Havana, which is essentially rumba and timba styles combined with Beethoven, uh, came to be. And then soon after that, I really figured, well, obviously, if there's treasures like this in the Caribbean, just in Cuba, there's got to be uh, an enormous amount of musical treasury in other countries like Colombia, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti, and Venezuela, of course. And of course, that's true. So after making Beethoven in Havana, I really sought to seek out musicians from these different amazing Afro-Caribbean cultures and do fusion projects with them. And I've been doing that ever since. And the most recent uh, result of this project is Caribbean Nocturnes, the album that I just released this fall. Well, is this, you know, for all of my viewers and listeners out there that, you know, a lot, you know, we have so many pop stars and rock stars and country and all of that. But when it comes to classical music, mm -hmm. um, it's a very, very tight community, uh, very yeah. tight listenership. 
Um, mm -hmm. How did you know? How would you classify your album? Is it classical? Is it pop classical? Yeah. I would say the best way to say is it's simply a fusion project. And when 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 you say fusion, it, it just to me it says we're just taking something from one beautiful style and another beautiful style and we're mixing it together. So that that's really all I can say. But I think the effect is that it's essentially Latin dance music with classical melodies and classical harmonies. So that's really what what it what it is. And so of course it can work on a classical station that wants to veer a little bit outside the box, and it can work on a Latin music station that wants to veer a little outside the box. At least that's what I hope, right? So, <laughs> well, but yeah, I mean, you, you touched on one of the challenges actually, because it's by definition non-categorical, right? Like we're trying to do something that's really different. So sometimes it's a little strange and people are like, I don't know what to do with this music. And that is a challenge. But on the other hand, uh, right now in the world we live in, I think that there's more opportunities than ever to stand out, especially with social media, putting your music on social media. So I've just decided to double down on doing my own thing and kind of creating my own lane for better or for worse. Well, see, I love that. Playing outside a musical genre, you know, yeah. there's so many genres today that become uh, bland in the fact that everybody starts sounding the same. Sure. But your music stands out because as I was listening to the album, and I even went back to listen to to the other music that you had uh, written and created, and very, uh, very dance oriented is this mm -hmm. the newest album, which yeah. is really because you're listening to it and you're like, yeah, you, <laughs> you get the groove, you can feel yeah. it, uh, and it, it, you know your music. I mean, if it, mm -hmm. if your music could be created as a visual. It's extremely mm -hmm. colorful. And, Thank you. And, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and it's a happy emotion. Even one of the slower songs on the album uh, yeah. was not slow to the point of being, uh, let's say, overly dramatic, not, mm -hmm. not sad in any sound whatsoever. It was right. just uh, calming in, in a way. Yeah. And it was very romantic in its yeah. sound. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. You know, I, I really love the romantic melodies of the classical era. Um, you know, you might be talking about one of the songs in the album, Lacrimosan, which is uh, taking from Mozart's uh, Requiem Mass and that the Lacrimosa piece from that, and which is a melody a lot of people know, and putting it in a Cuban style, Son Montuno, Guajira, and Cha 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 show up in that particular arrangement. And the whole idea with that is actually, it's to get the fusion, I think it's more than just combining styles. I really like to think of it as combining two different mindsets. And, and the way I think of it is like this, classical music has its origins in uh, old Europe, in the Christian church, you could say, right? So of course, the music is kind of built uh, with harmonies and melodies as if they're reaching up to a God up there, right? That's kind of the idea. Now, on the other hand, a lot of the rhythms in the Caribbean, of course, come from Africa. And with that comes religions like Yoruba traditions where the deities are in the earth and the ocean. So what's really important in that music is dancing and improvisation on a low drum because that gets you closer to God down there. So by combining these two styles, it's really two kind of world outlooks of the people that originated this music. And to me, that's really interesting. As an arranger and composer, you're always looking for contrast. So in that particular arrangement, what I am really trying to exploit is to get the listener to really feel that there's these two different 
you could say, existential philosophies that are coming through uh, in, the, in the roots of the music. So that's kind of the experiment to see if it works and see if that push and pull as you're listening to it, even if you're not aware of this kind of cultural background, of course, you can enjoy it anyway. The hope is that that creates a really interesting contrast and kind of involves the listener in a way that they're not even aware they're being, you know, uh, involved, right? And, so that's and, the I, idea. and I, I 100% agree with that. It was so funny because even today, uh, w when I enter the studio here, I always seem to gravitate to music or songs that kind of start my day, kind of starting off low and then finally building mm -hmm. up when I mm -hmm. decide to leave. But it was yeah. funny this time because I I put your, your album on uh -huh. and the first song is just like, bam, in your face. Uh, <laughs> let's get happy. Let's get energized. Let's start right. getting in the groove. Let's start moving. And I'm just sitting here going, okay. And, and I had already listened to the album many yeah. times before, but in the morning, because because most of the time I'm listening to it, it's, it's like in the afternoon, late afternoon, when right. you're completely awake and ready to go. But in the morning, mm -hmm. I was like, wow. And I was like, okay. And what is crazy is that even the style of music is so upbeat, so happy, so joyous in its sound. Uh, I don't know. I think it just energizes one in a whole different way, even when it's the first thing you hear in the morning. And That's great. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you got that effect. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a Grammy award-winning type album. And you, oh, you just you. literally... Yeah just nailed this this time and this is you know this is your wheelhouse because i understand that you got to take us back a bit because i yeah. understand that when you were eight years old uh you first heard graceland by paul simon what did right. that do for you right so my dad his generation i think everybody of his generation loved that song you can call me al my dad's name was alan i remember we were driving back from my cousin's house in connecticut i grew up in boston and he grabbed he bought the tape at a gas station and i'd never heard anything like this so i was just a suburban kid in brookline massachusetts outside of boston and i'd never heard african music not to mention paul simon was you know uh doing his, the way he was approaching the lyrics and what the songs were about. So it kind of blew me away. And ever since then, I felt a desire and interest uh, in music that was, you know, from a different place than where I was from, because it always seemed more interesting if the music was coming from Africa or the Caribbean. And so that led to a real search of all these different kinds of, of cultural music that ends up being you know, what I'm working on now, which is Afro-Caribbean music. And I think what really excited me uh, in particular about that record and why I, that made such a big impact on me is because I think that if Paul Simon hadn't made that fusion effort with, um, with in that case, musicians from Africa on the next album, musicians from uh, South America and the Caribbean, if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had the exposure. So I, I've had the belief that if I'm making fusion music, maybe people who know classical music or people who know Latin music, but don't know classical music. So people know classical music, and don't know Latin music and vice versa. If I'm making this fusion, um, maybe there's people out there who will enjoy having their mind expanded in that way. So I feel like Paul Simon sort of set the bar 
when he went on that adventure. Now yeah. it's 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 crazy because in some way that album was really controversial, right? Like there were lots of problems with how he got the rights with the musicians, and you know, in some cases he may have taken really advantage of them, which is a shame. So obviously we're not trying to do that part. <laughs> we're trying yeah. to do the part. Oh, bringing... oh, I know, but he yeah. he brought something to popular radio. He did that. Yeah stood out and of course you know everybody fell in love with the mm -hmm. music video which really right. set that song even further apart exactly. but it was the beat and like you said it's that yeah. african beat that people keep listening to exactly. and i love that because a lot of artists today don't step out of the box i mean i loved yeah. it back in the day when stevie ray, stevie ray vaughn brought true blues to mm -hmm. radio it's something that you know right. that was always shoved off to the side if you were in the delta but right to be on the right. radio and then finally be on mtv that was massive but then with yep. paul simon and, and I, I this is what i love about paul simon he's mm. not afraid to try new things yeah yeah he's he's he absolutely he's absolutely adventurous and it's great and i i look up to that uh that ideal and that's really kind of the attitude I try to take. I have to push and push. So on the first album I did, it was mostly Cuban rhythms and a few collaborations. I really wanted to collaborate with more Caribbean missions on this record, which is why I met up with Jen Del Tambo and Orito Cantora, who are two amazing Colombian, Afro-Colombian musicians. And they joined me on a piece called Colombia Andante, which is Mozart fused with Colombian rhythms. And we did a piece called Martinique Nocturne, which is a special collaboration with my drummer who I toured with in France who's from Martinique, who introduced me to all the beautiful French Caribbean rhythms that we've been working on together. And so we made Martinique Nocturne, which is Chopin in a Zouk style and begin these old, old uh, French Caribbean, you could say, uh, from Martinique and Guadeloupe, these rhythms. So I'm really interested in exploring these different, you could say, Afro cousins in the uh, in the Caribbean and meeting musicians who are from these cultures and working with them. It obviously is you know, super, super deep in every category. I, I have to eat a very good diet if I'm going to be living long enough to understand all this stuff. But what I'm really enjoying is these different collaborations with these these different Afro perspectives. To me, that's what it's all about, trying to make this fusion kind of work. And I hope that when people hear the music and maybe they recognize the classical melody, it provides them an access point. If they're not familiar with, say, Martinique music, they can kind of get into it through this because they can see how the adaptation takes something that they're familiar with and brings them just a little bit outside of their own comfort zone. So I, I, I think a lot about Anthony Bourdain and what he did. You know, I, I, he's another guy I really look up to in the sense that I thought he was a great ambassador and what he did with food, that's kind of my aspiration to do with music in a way. Bring it, uh, go to different cultures, have those conversations and just have fun bringing it together and everybody gets to learn a little bit. That's what it's all about. Well, see, now you've just planted the seed out there and I can literally visualize you doing an Anthony Bourdain type of television show based on music found around the world. I would literally watch that. Yeah, I, I think love that. I'm glad to hear you say that. I would love to make a show like that. You know, I, I think I think we kind of need a show like that. But look, food and music, right? Those are the two things. It's the easiest way to get to know somebody new, right? You know, nobody's having an argument when they're dancing. You know what I mean? That's when you can, <laughs> that's when you get together. Um, and it's like that with food too. You know, um, 
I, I live in LA here. We have lots of different food. I'm always the one who's like, hey, let's go to this Ethiopian place. We got to try this new thing. And, you know, it's always kind of neat to be able to, to, to branch, branch out and find new things through food and music. So, yeah. yeah. And, so, and I'd like love to I, do a show like that. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, I always say it is music that makes the world go around. It is music that makes memories. Food can too, because especially when you totally. have a group of people fellowshipping mm -hmm. together, having fun, trying new new things, but then mm -hmm. even having music playing in the background. But yeah. what I want to ask you is, is that let's okay, let's say you went down to the Caribbean and yeah. you're studying their type of music. Mm -hmm. When you're listening to their music, were there pieces of classical popping into your head that were matching up was it was it the rhythms was it chord progressions how, yeah how did that how did the meshing uh, effect actually happen well that's a great question so well i'll say it like this when you study a composer let's take beethoven for example he's a very famous classical composer i think even if you're not a huge classical music fan you have a sense of the personality of beethoven like bold brash revolutionary musician, right? And that attitude is really in his music. And when you play his music, you have to really think about the attitude. Any good teacher will tell you it's not just reading the notes. You got to get into the mentality of what's going on with the guy who wrote the music. Now, my project, what it does, it imagines if if instead of in Beethoven's case, if he was writing from Bonn or Vienna, he was in Havana. So what would happen differently if his cultural surroundings were Cuban, if his realities were those realities of uh, the Africans who were free after slavery and created rumba music in the early 20th century, and the reality of how they, they made their music, how would that have influenced Beethoven? And I think it's a great question because ultimately what I'm trying to do is not necessarily preserve every nuance of the classical piece, but rather the attitude of the composer that led to that and try to give it sort of like an environment of Havana. And so of course this means adapting the rhythms and all these technical things that I have to do to, to work it out. But at the end of the day, it's all about the attitude of the composer. I think that's the difference between people who wrote music that uh, kind of died out in its time period and the ones who were everlasting, let's say Beethoven, Mozart, Chopin, these guys, Basically, they're still household names, even if you don't know the music. The reason that music stuck around is because they had an attitude that was there. And so that's what I'm trying to preserve is really the attitude. So when I when I feel like there's a piece where I can really, it really feels like it's just bubbling with uh, sabor from, you know, the, the Beethoven, right? With the flavor of Beethoven. It, and you can mesh that with a rumba rhythm or maybe something from Colombia, you know, like a cumbia rhythm. If it works, if it works and it feels like the attitude is still, you can still capture that attitude of the original without, without, you know, destroying it. So I guess another example would be if um, I have lots of arrangements that just don't work. And like, this is like a whole experiment. And usually the ones that don't work are the ones where you know, it becomes kind of like, remember the XFL? Everyone hated it because it was a combination of <laughs> pro wrestling and football, but it took the worst of both worlds. Sometimes that when you work on things, that happens. So we're trying to get the best of both worlds, right? That's really what it comes down to. See, and, and you said something that, I, that I've heard from top actors and actresses, and they've always said that if, you're, if you want to be an actor, you need to get educated. 
not actually yeah. in the craft. You need to get educated in what's going on around your world. What's going True. on in the news? What music yeah. are you listening to? Read things you know nothing about so right. you can understand that if you ever come across a part, you know how to bring all those things you've learned and any types of experiences into that piece. And with the way that right. you're explaining this, if Beethoven actually went to Havana or Cuba and sat there and listened, what would his music actually sound like? Because we're all sponges, which means, and especially for those in music like you, you're absorbing your environment around you, and then it becomes something brand new that comes out of you, especially for you coming out of your fingers upon the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. The best actors, they do a ton of research. And that is a mentality when you work in film. You know, I work as a film composer, and oftentimes I'm asked to write styles of music that I'm not particularly familiar with. And it requires me, of course, to collaborate with other musicians, but also take a deep dive in what's really going on. When you make music for a film, you, you are kind of playing a role as a composer. You know, if, if, if you've got a, a film that takes place in a far off land, or it takes place about a person who's having a psychological experience, you have to select instruments and a palette and a direction and a vibe that really feels like the world that's there. So you have to sort of become like an actor and really start to transform yourself to do it successfully. So I think I do take that approach with this music. This is almost like its own story. Um, you know, another thing I'll say is that some of the best scores and some of the best movies, they leave you kind of lusting for the legend of the thing. Like, you know, when we first saw Star Wars before the prequels were created and Obi-Wan Kenobi says, hey, uh, I, I did fight in the Clone Wars and Luke's really impressed. All of us as kids are watching it. We're like, wow, what are the Clone Wars? But that's all the information we got at the time. So all of us were just dying for 20 years to see movies about the Clone Wars. So that's what I think you want to do with music. You want to give people this sense of legend. You want to make them feel like if they're hearing Mozart in Colombia, you want to make them imagine like what it was like. You want to be able to taste it and smell it and wonder what if this Vienna guy was in Colombia living there and his reality was more like Barranquilla instead of Vienna, right? And so yeah. to me, that that's kind of what you're going for. We're, we're playing these roles and trying to really bring people into this, you know, alternate universe. Well, uh, you know, kind of walk us through. You know, you mentioned sure. scoring a film and music... Mm -hmm plays a very emotional role yeah. in a film. Not just the emotion that the actors are trying to portray for their characters, but it's the music bed that sets the tone. You know, we all know what happens when we hear the, you know, hear the sound in the movie Jaws, something really bad is about to happen. And, exactly. But there, you know, so kind of walk us through that. If you're sitting in front of a film, do, do they send you the film? That is mm -hmm. literally just blank and you have to sit there and literally watch it and just figure out, yeah. you know, where you start. Well, I mean, literally, how do you start something like that? Yeah, great. So it's always different, but generally when you get a film or a TV show, you get uh, a locked cut. And that means that all the timing of this, of the thing is done. And that means that, you know, if it's a half an hour show, you've got a half an hour film in front of you and the timing is there. And these days, in a lot of cases, before I even see it, it has to be tested and auditioned for producers. So there's temporary music, which we sometimes just call temp. Mm 
And so this can be score of another composer. And usually what happens, you sit down with the director or the producers, you watch it with the temp music, you talk about it. They say, oh, I like what the music does here. Can you do something like this? I don't like what the music does here. Can you do something like that? And you have this kind of what's called a spotting session, which is just means that you spot where, where the, the music starts and stops. But really it's a session to talk about the philosophy of the movie and how music relates to that, right? And so when that meeting is done and hopefully everyone's communicating well and I understand what the director and producers are looking for, then I go home and I turn off the temp music and I watch it myself. And when I watch a film, the first thing I do is I just try to watch it and try to pick up on the internal rhythm that comes from the dialogue and the way the edit flows. And usually if you watch a film without the music, you can tap your foot. And that's how you establish the tempo. So the real important thing, I think like 50% of the job is getting the tempo right because the music has to be the right rhythm for what's going on on screen, right? So if obviously, obvious example is if you have a big action sequence, there's a, it's probably going to be an up-tempo thing, right? And if you have a, a dialogue where someone's you know, telling his girlfriend that he can't ever see her again because he has to go overseas and it's incredibly dramatic, that's probably going to be slower. But it's also going to be slower because of the acting and the editing and the way the actors are moving their hands. So there's an implicit rhythm. It's almost like watching a ballet without the music. You see it. It's there. And if, it's, if the editor is good, then usually the, the rhythm is really apparent. So once you tap into that fundamental rhythm, then that's you, you've got your starting point. And then you try to write your melodies and your harmonies and themes that away from the picture. So what I do is after I've done this and I've come up with some tempos, I try to, you know, take some time, get some fresh air, do something else, let it, if I have the time, you know, often the deadlines don't allow this, but if I have the time, I like walking around uh, and just thinking about the piece, thinking about how it makes me feel, you know? Um, you know, it, what's the subconscious message of the movie, right? And then trying to write a, a theme that I like to call like a pregnant theme. And this can be like four notes, three notes, or and something that you can use throughout the picture. Like if you think of the Terminator, we just hear da-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? Everyone knows that. As soon as you hear that, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to come on the screen and start killing people. So <laughs> this little piece of rhythm is so simple. It's like a child's piece of music, but it works great and it's exploded. That's why I say like a, a pregnant theme. It develops and grows throughout the, uh, the picture, right? So that's like the ideal theme, something that's a really clear motive that you can kind of use throughout. And then of course, when you get into the craft of laying it in with that tempo you've established for different scenes, it's all about clever arrangement, making sure that uh, you know, like in, in that Jaws theme you mentioned, that ba-bum, that it's very important where that is in the orchestra. It's in the lowest part. It's, it, it hits a primal thing because of the register. And so frequency of music is something you're thinking about. In a horror film, this is the maximum example of how they exploit register and our primal feelings. You know, things are very, very high, very high, and they drop down really suddenly with a jump scare or something like that. That's an extreme example of tying into our, our primal instincts of hearing extreme, extremely low things and extremely high things and sensing danger. Usually when things are in this middle frequency where we're talking, it's not as scary. <laughs> right. So that's just some, that's 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 so that's like a real, you know, bicycle ride through the process, I'd say. Well, for, for you, uh, let's say as a fan of mm -hmm. movie or, or movie scores, to you, what is your, what do you think is the greatest movie score of all time? 
That's really, really hard because I like different scores for different reasons. Sure. Um, uh, you know, that's a really I always tough thought one. Chariots of Fire would be rated in the top three. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic score. Um, you know, many of the scores by Ennio Morricone are amazing. Uh, gosh, I mean, Cinema Paradiso is, a, is an amazing score. Um, I love all the spaghetti westerns that he did. Um, of course, I like John Williams. Those are like to say John Williams is the best film composer is a little bit like saying you enjoy breathing air out here in, in Hollywood, you know. Uh, but I think some of the films that he did that aren't as maybe as popular, like Memoirs of a Geisha or, uh, you know, Catch Me If You Can, uh, these are fantastic scores. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, those old spaghetti westerns by Ennio Morricone, to me, those are, are fantastic because they're way outside the box and they're almost comically uh, uh, obtuse with the instrumentation, but they really tell you a story um that 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 we just wouldn't work without with any different kind of uh, kind of score well I mean, have you ever real this, storytelling this, yeah this is probably kind of a funny question in a way uh, have you ever heard of an amazing movie score that people should hear and listen to but they won't because the movie is so bad yeah i think it happens all the time um i think i think a a, a very good score um, I think it can, I think it happens all the time, actually, you know, um, I mean, let me think of an example where the, I'm trying to think of an example of a, of a score that was really good, but the movie wasn't quite as successful. I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough one because I think there are many movies that, that aren't, aren't as strong, but the, the music just did, did such an important thing. Uh, but generally, I feel like if the movie's really fantastic and the music's really fantastic, um, it's a hit. It's a hit. It's a hit. Let me think of a good example of of of, of a case. Um, well, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the Bernard Herrmann scores with Alfred Hitchcock films, like I think the score for North by Northwest is amazing, but I think the movie's a mess. <laughs> I mean, you know, Hitchcock is is a master, but that one was not a strong film. It's awkward. Um, it's, it's, it's strange. It doesn't, it, you really feel like, well, does the characters seem to be doing things that aren't motivated? I think it's a sloppy movie, but the score totally makes it. And when that airplane is coming in to like land on the guy, you know, uh, the huge amount of the tension comes from that score. That's one of the most fantastically scored scenes in all of cinema, I think. But, um, yeah, I think that's an example where, I mean, it's not a terrible movie, but it's certainly not as strong as I think Vertigo is, which is like a masterpiece. But in, but that's an example, I think, where, thank God, he got the right composer for that one, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, now, have you ever written a musical? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, I have. On the Disney Channel show, Big City Greens, we've written uh, a Christmas special musical, and I'm working on the Big City Greens movie, which will be uh, a movie that comes out next year, and that's a full-blown musical. So I'm writing the songs and the score for that one. Oh, so you're doing the songs as well as the score. Well, like I said, it would make yes. sense because that way, yeah. you know, the the rhythm is is coming together and the, what I would call the yeah. colors are all matching and flowing throughout the whole film. So, uh, exactly. wow, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. That's a, a really beautiful family show on the Disney Channel that I, I love working on. Really creative guys. 
uh, those guys know how to make films. They know how to make films. And so writing music for them is a, it's a, been a great collaboration for the last several years. Yeah. Well, what is uh, coming up next for you uh, after this uh, new album, uh, Caribbean Nocturnes? What's next? Well, we're going to keep making albums like this, I hope. And uh, the next step is I've, I've got some nor new music that's going to come out really soon. Um, in January, I've got a new piece of music that's going to be called Carnival Capriccio, which is an original piece of music in a classical style, you could say, but it's the carnival rhythms of Colombia, Venezuela, and Martinique. And so I, in Portugal last May, I filmed the video with uh, some of my musician friends from Colombia, from Venezuela, and Martinique, and we did a fusion piece of all three carnival rhythms in, in one, and it's going to be released in January, and we're looking to, you know, celebrate uh, a carnival season. We haven't had a strong carnival season in a long time because of the pandemic, and now's the time where our Hopefully, fingers crossed, everyone's going to be in the mood to go out and have a great time and enjoy these amazing cultures and the carnivals they put on in February and March. Now, do you tour often? We, I tour as much as I can. Usually I'm touring in France and uh, I have got shows coming up in early, uh, in early March. I'm going to France. Uh, looks like we might go to Japan later this year as well, but we're still kind of collecting and, and setting up dates. It is a little awkward after the pandemic, I must admit, to book shows because my project was really just starting before the pandemic. So, uh, so we're putting it back together and we're getting out more and more. But yes, the, the, the goal is to tour and try to play and all these, uh, all these beautiful places. My wife says the project was just a, like a Rube Goldberg way to go on great vacations to beautiful places. <laughs> that would work when, when you yeah. definitely have a better half. That really works out great for them. Now, where can all of my viewers and listeners know more about your music and where can they buy it? Yes. Well, you can go to YoachimHorsley.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. It's always my name. Um, I'm on Spotify. And of course, you can order you can order CDs through my website and also, you know, Amazon. You'll be able to get it. I think you can order the CD anywhere if you want to get the CD. But of course, we're streaming on all platforms as well. All right, so. ladies and gentlemen, take it from me. You know, I listen to all of the music and we only have the best on this show and you Kim Horsley is one again one of the most gifted most talented world-renowned pianist in the world but he's got a flavor like no other and you have got to pick up the album Caribbean Nocturnes take it from me you're gonna fall in love and like I did today turning it on first thing in the morning wow it hits you fills you with joy it gets your feet ready to dance that's how we start our day so check out YoakimHorsley.com. Now is it uh, YoakimHorsley.com? That's that right. right? Yeah, right. that's right. So ladies and gentlemen, at the bottom of your screen, that's where you want to go, buy his music, and also look up any tour dates because you never know. If he comes yeah. near in a city near you, you have got to go watch him play. But more enjoyable than that, your ears will love every key he touches so Joaquin <laughs> thank you so much for being on the program thank you. today really appreciate it it's great talking to you thank you so all much right. all right well ladies and gentlemen stick around because uh we're gonna dance a little bit more we'll be right back after this thank you <laughs> 